Hello and welcome everyone to our very first installment of what we hope becomes a monthly podcast of great interest, TN Truck Thought, or the Triple T Podcast for short. In this podcast, we'll be talking about talking with some of the brightest minds in trucking to get to the bottom of some of its most challenging issues. We'll be talking about all things trucking, including what's new in government and research, as well as practical and theoretical discussions about important issues like the rise of nuclear verdicts or how to overcome this crazy supply chain or driver and fleet safety issues. In each episode, we'll take a deep dive into these areas with carefully selected experts and also give you a fresh take on some of the biggest trucking news stories of the month. I'm your host, Sean Garney, co-director of Scopolitas Transportation Consulting, and welcome to our pod. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce our guest today. First up is Bill Zank. He's principal and practice leader with True North Companies, where he's been for 17 years. As I understand it, he does a lot of things with True North, but one of his passions is data. Bill, you want to take a second to introduce yourself? Yeah, Sean. Uh, appreciate it and good to be part of the uh, inaugural podcast here. Uh, so been with the company for 17 years, uh, primarily focused on working with executive leadership at uh, various transportation and logistics companies, helping them build out strategies around their uh, enterprise risk financing or insurance procurement, and then also how they manage risk. In the last uh, seven years, there's been a building need uh, where companies have needed more strategic and consultative support around how risk is managed in their business. And so that prompted us to build out what we now call risk solutions that that I had up as practice leader. So good to be here, Sean. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Bill, for coming. Next up, everybody's favorite, Burt Mayo. He's VP of Risk Solutions, a friend of the industry and a friend of ours. He's been in trucking for more than 30 years, getting to start as a driver and is working his way up. Uh, I was recently reading the intro to Ed Miller's book, uh, Trucker's Tale, good friend of uh, our next guest, Steve Kepler, and and he suggested that he gave a presentation once and asked everybody in the room whose family was in trucking before they got in trucking. So I'm going to ask that to Bert, but then he asked a follow-up question to those that uh, had family in trucking, and he said, whose daddy told him not to join trucking? And so I'm wondering, Bert, if, if you can give a little intro to yourself and tell us if any of those apply to you. Uh, none of those. Uh, it's interesting you say that. I saw him at a TCA or ATA years ago, and I remember him uh, asking the question, uh, who, who had been a driver? You know, in half the room or three quarters of the room had raised their hand. And he said, who of y'all have uh, told your kids not to get into trucking? And the same group raised their hand. And uh, I find that interesting as we complain about lack of drivers, lack of people in the industry, but we have yet to uh, perpetuate that within our own family. So it, it changed my mind about it quite a bit. So it was an interesting statement. But no, I got out of the military like a lot of veterans and uh, decided to drive a truck. So shout out to all the veterans. Appreciate y'all doing that. And uh, drove a truck for a while, moved up into dispatch ops and got into safety and been on the insurance side of things for uh, 25 years and came over here to True North uh, about eight years ago, met Bill and his team, and they were building this thing they call Risk Solutions, and it was different, and I wanted to be a part of it. So, how I got Well, that's fantastic. We're looking forward to your perspective here. Uh, last but certainly not least, of course, is Steve Kepler. Uh, he's a 30-year industry veteran, and I'm pleased to call my partner here at Scopolitas Transportation Consulting. Steve, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Sean. Very happy to be here today with everybody. Great topic we're talking about. 
Uh, yes, I've been in the industry 30 years, uh, most of it in trade associations, uh, but I did start with FMCSA back years ago uh, doing compliance reviews and roadside inspections and audits and all that fun stuff, enforcement cases and regulatory work. Then I joined um, ITS America Transportation Technology Association, and I was with the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance for 16 years, uh, the last six as its executive director. Uh, then I went to Intermodal Association North America for five years or so in the intermodal side of the business. And I've been with STC now for eight months and and real happy to to be joined with you, Sean, and uh, great to be part of the team. So, Yeah, that's fantastic. I think we're going to have a great conversation today. We're going to be talking about uh, the value of safety versus compliance. And I think I think the folks on the pod today are going to be great complement to each other. We have Bill, who's kind of an, an enterprise viewpoint sort of fella, you know, a uh, fleet solutions kind of guy. We got Bert, who's got experience everywhere, including as a driver. And then, of course, we got the cop in the room, Steve Kepler, who's going to tell us why compliance is so important. So uh, without further ado, we'll just kick it off. And I think, you know, an important part of any one of these conversations is to sort of set the stage, right? We need to define some terms make sure we're all reading from the same playbook. So, um, you know, with that, I think I'll kick it over first to, uh, to Steve to just tell us how would you define safety and or compliance? Well, I think that, you know, compliance is a minimum, right? Regulatory compliance is a minimum. Their regulations are structured typically not to an individual. They're basically it's to, for a general topic, and general application across a group of individuals. So the regulated community, there's a, a process, regulations are established, notice and comment. So often based on data, uh, sometimes not. Um, and where safety is a lot more, right, in my view, uh, safety is is not as much from a regulatory perspective. Safety sits on top of it. Um, and so safety oftentimes isn't based on regulations. It's based on practice and procedures. And safety is different for everybody. It's different for individuals, different for companies. You don't see a definition of safety in the regulations because of that. Um, and just because you're compliant doesn't mean you're going to be safe, right? So, and the government is typically the entity that requires you to comply with the regulations. It's a government responsibility. There are consequences from the government for not being for not complying with the rules, fines, penalties, CSA scores. They want you to be safe. They expect you to be safe, right? Whereas on the safety side, you know, your employees expect you to keep them safe. Your insurers expect you to be safe, right? Your customers expect you to be safe. There's consequences from those entities from not being safe, right? So you can have unproductive, disgruntled employees, difficult to recruit people. If you're not, it's a safety as a differentiator, right? So, um, and higher insurance premiums or not being insured at all and lost customers. So I think there's, there's certain differences for sure. Uh, but that's just a couple of points. Well, and I want to push back a little bit because that's what I do as the host on the idea about whether or not there's a definition of safety in the regulations, right? So you and I interact with a lot of carriers on a regular basis and they all have different safety ratings, right? satisfactory, unsatisfactory, or conditional. Could that be considered uh, a definition of safety? Or could we use CSA as a definition of safety? I'll let, I'll let Steve go first on that, but I'd love to hear Bill and, and Bert, Bert's viewpoint on that. Bert's chuckling right now. We can't see it, but I'm sure he's got something good to say. So what do you think, Steve? <laughs> is, is a well, satisfactory uh, 
a, a rated satisfactory carrier safe? Uh, it, according to FMCSA, yes. But that definition is based upon regulatory compliance, right? So that's the foundational element of all of the things you talk about, whether it's the safety rating, whether it's CSA, it's all compliance focused. Now, there's time and other things that can impact for CSA. There's time and there's severity weightings, right? So there's been some research, right, that have looked at those those particular things. And in the rating process, they have acute and critical regulations that, that you know, are some are more severe than others, but fundamentally it's based upon compliance. Bert? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I guess I laugh at is, you know, been in it long enough to see the, uh, the CSA, the beginning of CSA. And it, at the time there was some conversation around Within the industry, you know, if if motor carriers get too focused on compliance, do they lose safety? And we've seen that happen. Uh, we see that happen all the time. Uh, although I will say, kind of back to C's point earlier, I do believe compliance, basic compliance, is you have to start every program there and then build upon that. But I do see some motor carriers spend too much time on the compliance piece, and they can lose sight of the safety piece. Yeah, so that's I, don't, a, that, I guess to, to answer your question, I guess directly is. I don't think safety or compliance equals safety. Hmm. Yeah, that, that that's that's interesting, Burton. We had an interesting conversation this morning with another colleague of ours, sort of to that same point. Now, Bill, if you're going into a carrier and you're trying to understand their safety posture, if compliance and safety are unrelated, sort of where do you start? What is what are you looking at to try to gauge safety and and are you using safety ratings and 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 csa scores yeah it, it's a component i you know if you go back to my personal definition of compliance versus safety <clears throat> i kind of think about it as you know compliance there's a time to be specific and with safety it's it's a little bit more aspirational and so your your definition of state safety starts to get really wide you know, pointed to this conversation, right? FMCSA might call something safety, but it's driven by compliance scores. Um, but then when you really start to talk about safety inside an organization, it's it's wide, wide ranging in, in nature. Um, when we look at organizations, you know, there's an interesting point, Bert, I don't know if you know you, you made, but there are new what we a call lot of games. times Bird doesn't know the points that he makes, so we should be at all. <laughs> Rarely. There, there, there's kind of games and zones that companies go through as they go through growth stages. And so we look at companies in kind of different growth chunks of, you know, one to 10 units, 10 to 25, 25 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 250, 250 to 500, 500 to 1,000, and then kind of up. And as you kind of achieve new, what we call games and zones, early stages of young, smaller companies, it's it's very focused on what keeps me in business, which is I got to be compliant because every violation affects me from an insurability or being able to get customer contracts and, and the same thing with accidents. As you start to mature and grow, though, that's when you start to build these more focused practices. You might have a compliance team. You might have a safety team. Maybe 
at a period of time, one person's doing both, but it splits and gets more and more siloed over time as, as you grow in scale. And so you kind of have to understand a couple of things when you walk inside an organization, where are they at from a size perspective? And then where, you know, what is the leader calling what's important? Are we growth, sales, operations focused? Does safety and compliance have a necessary place or it's part of uh, our culture and it's ingrained? So you have to kind of understand what you're walking into and then you have to then address you know, where do we need to tackle the, the issues? And, and some large organizations, to, to Bert's point earlier, we got to hit on the fundamentals first, and compliance is a big piece of that. But then over time, you start to get safety institutionalized into the culture of the organization. And that's that's where we see kind of this transformation happen. But there are there are reasons that can and can't happen based on the, the system and the structure that the organization puts around itself. Yeah, boy, that was a lot to unpack. We'll be <laughs> unpacking from that trip for a while. Um, to to but, look, we, I mean, I, we spend our, our focus primarily right is to to help motor carriers get the best insurance program possible. So, you know, ultimately, my definition of of safety is their outcome, right? Are they you know or crashes? So I always look at crashes, and I have seen, as I think all of us have over the years, motor carriers that perform very well and. I'll use CSA as our measure for compliance today. They perform very well in CSA, but have pitiful crash results, or, or at least crash uh, dollars spent within crashes. And I've also seen the other, where they have great crash scores, great crash results, but their their CSA compliance is in bad shape. Yeah, I, I think I that's – oh, go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say because you know, and, and it's a good—that's a good point to make. Bart, crashes are complicated animals, right? There's lots of things that go into it, and they're all unique, right? And so, I think as you unpack those crashes and how, as you do crash investigations, you un, you unfurl all of those things. That's why crash inv- investigations don't just focus on regulatory compliance. There's interviews involved. There's you know, what are the weather conditions? What were the roadway conditions? All ty- different types of, what, what did the driver, what did they do before they came on duty that day, right? So all of these things that impact on that scenario, the crash, right? And so some of them are compliance related. Some of them are safety related. At the end of the day, but it's a, it's about decisions those individuals made, right? And the behavior of those operating those vehicles that ultimately, you know, the large truck crash causation study, the, the last critical event, right? So, so all, that's why it's important to understand, you know, compliance is a baseline and it's a requirement, but you need, it's, safety is much more. Well, and, that's, and I like that. I, I, I do like that statement, Sean, that cl- compliance is the baseline. It's where you start. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's right. I think I can harken back to the, the early fight over CSA and, and the idea that, um, you know, ultimately what matters is our trucks crashing, right? And however you want to rate a carrier, what ultimately, what ultimately matters is, yeah, how many, how many crashes they have. Um, but crashes are inherently rare and unpredictable events. They, they just are. And so you've got to start somewhere. And it sounds from what Bill was saying that especially in the scenario of a smaller carrier, right? So we have smaller carriers listening to this podcast and they're thinking, well, I'd love to focus on safety, but where do I start? 
right? So is compliance a fair baseline for safety, right? And if, you know, if it is, then, then when or where do we build on it, right? So what do we think? Is compliance, is working on compliance a, a fair baseline for safety? And as I've experienced with a lot of carriers, if a carrier is compliant, are they then safe? Bert? I, I, yeah, well, so I think the answer is yes, but as, as long as the motor carrier, the people within the organization, leadership, you know, as, as Bill talked about as they go through those stages, they understand, that, and I'll use, Steve, the spirit of the rule, right? As long as you understand the spirit of the rule, you're just not dotting the I and crossing the T for the sake of dotting the I and crossing the T. But quali- driver qualification, background checks, this is one of the things I see all the time that a little bit of a heartache with me is they just do the bare minimum on the backgrounds. The purpose of the background is to find out if it's a qualified driver, if he, he or she is going to fit within your organization. But motor carriers have gotten to the point because I say compliance piece, they just, you know, check it off to a third party. Rarely are there actual, you know, phone calls or and I get it. There's a we're doing a lot today. I mean, and we're moving at the speed of sound. But that's a, a the spirit of that rule was to ensure you had a qualified driver for your organization but now you see motor carriers just check it off and move on love love the spirit of the rule i've I've thought a lot about what the spirit of certain rules are going to turn to the cop over here now uh to talk a little bit about how we enforce the spirit of the rule and we can even get specific there's tons of examples out there but let's take you know the big one that that people think of let's take hours of service right how would you define the spirit of that rule, Steve? And what role does compliance does compliance have in that rule set? Well, it, it's a it's a good question, and and that's the challenge, right? It's you can't enforce the spirit, right? You've got to have black and white, and that's the challenge, right? So, you know, hours of service is a surrogate for fatigue, right? So, the, the ultimate goal is we don't want tired drivers out there operating on the roadways, so. You know, the, the rules are there to tr- hopefully address that. Um, and there's a baseline. And so there's tools by which enforcement uh, uses to evaluate compliance, whether it's ELDs or, or the like. Um, and so from an enforcement perspective, you know, things, for, for example, form and manner violations. Are those a safety issue? Some would argue not. Right. However, um, those and other things that are required by the regulations help enforcement to determine compliance. And if there are if there are gaps in those types of elements, right, if they're not doing form and manner, okay, that's that's a red flag. Okay, what else are they not doing? Right. So they're going to dig deeper. So are they trying to conceal hours of service? Right. So it's all those other things that come into play um, that um, with hours of service compliance that help get to that fatigue issue, but it's not going to get you there. It's only going to take you part of the way there. Um, now there's, there's a regulation that says don't drive while ill or fatigued, right? That's in the rules that's separate from hours of service. And, and if you look at that regulation, uh, and the enforcement of it, it's very minimal. It's, it's less than one half of 1% of the time are drivers cited while fatigued. However, if you look at research, you know, depending on who you talk to, that number's much, much higher than but that. But they're cited for 11 hours, 14 hours, 70, 
They're cited for all those lots of times. Oh, oh wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> Let me jump on the cop here. They're also cited for not having their instruction card operate the ELD, although he can operate the ELD, and they're, op- they're cited for blank, no, having no blank logs, which are never needed anymore. Function. That's right. So, so no, but but you're right. All those are, are surrogates, their requirements, right? And so it, it it it's it's a compilation of of things to help with compliance, but the ultimate goal is we don't want fatigued drivers. So um, that's why the spirit, you know, what you know, and, and and enforcement is a lot like the industry in some respects, back to Bill's point. Some are going to look at the pure black and white. Check back, Bert. Check the box, right? I'm checking the box. The rule says this. They didn't do this. I'm going to cite them, right? Some some cops are going to going to delve further. They're going to interview the driver. They're going to find out. Okay, what were you doing? You know, was it intention? So all of the, the good driver interview will lead you to intent, and that gets back to spirit, right? So, you know, what did this driver do up to this time? Was it um, purposeful? Was it just, you know, I didn't know things. So all of that takes place at that encounter roadside um, and different officers are going to take different approaches based upon their experience, what they've learned, that driver interview. And that's getting back to CSA, tying it back to that. A lot of, a lot of folks in industry have concerns, legitimate concerns, because there's biases in the data in some respect due to those types of actions. And that, and that's how, where you get into that gray area of spirit versus letter of the law. Yeah, you know, if you, I'm going to bring it back to Ed Miller's book, which again, I'm, I'm just starting to read. Shout out to Ed Miller and and Trucker's Tale. But you know, in his in his forward, he talks about you know that that safety is is a core principle in trucking, and that the folks that he knows in trucking are are working their hardest to be as safe as possible on the road, right? And so. So we've got good rules like can't drive while ill or fatigued or what's the other one we like, Steve? 96 or 396-3A1, the broken truck regulation. Yeah. Make sure your truck ain't broke. Right. So, <laughs> but, but it sounds like we're agreeing generally that that's not enough, right? The rules say you can't drive while under the influence. And, and in fact, you can't, can't do drugs. Right. But then we've erected a pretty significant sort of scaffolding on which to prop this this rule up, which includes randoms and pre-employment and post-crash and the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, which is a giant, you know, paper chase kind of to make sure you're doing the right things. Now, I support the, the clearinghouse. I'm not trying to be negative about it, but it's just another example of sort of you start with this easy principle and then to enforce the spirit, you you erect this this big structure around it, and I think I think that's some of the frustration that you get from carriers, right? Who are like, we're trying to do our best, but we're we're bogged down by our compliance posture, right? So, Bill, like, how does a carrier how does a carrier think through that or prioritize that? Do they is do they need just focus on compliance until until they're done or can they do two things at once like what do you think is a strategy here well i would say we typically advise let me back up we have the unique advantage at true north to be able to see a lot of different companies small large and how they ultimately approach kind of these issues inside their organization and so 
<clears throat> we can pull best practices uh, out from that. And and one of the things that we've identified in the last you know decade or so is there is an increasing, to your all's point, amount of data to be managed. This this issue around big data in and around compliance and and even tied into safety is overwhelming for most companies. And what we'll see is when it comes time to spend a dollar, most organizations are going to spend significantly more on the operations sales side of their organization compared to risk, safety, and compliance. And so there isn't enough dollar at the end of the day to spend around people, processor systems to manage the massive amount of safety compliance data inside the organization. And so one of the things that you know, we've, we've built internally, but also just recommend as, as an overall strategy for companies is you have to really adopt this 80-20 principle where you're focusing on the most critical few issues that drive the highest impact results. Because there's not enough people process system in the organization to touch everything. And the idea is if we can take, you know, 20% effort and affect 80% of the major issues, start there, right? And so you have to understand your data and dissect it and understand where it's coming from. So the rest of it, the last 20% usually takes significant amount of lift. And, and until you get that first 80% right, it's really tough to kind of complete the full circle. So how companies do that, you know, there's there's new emerging resources, technologies. Um, a lot of organizations will work with us on building out their data analytics. So they're, you know, putting in their operational data, their safety data, compliance data, their insurance loss data into data warehouses and propping them up in, in different visualization tools like the operators have enjoyed for many years. And we're doing those same things in, you know, safety and compliance. And it's starting to tell the story, not only at the macro level, which generally companies are pretty good at today, or even the driver specific level, but where we think, you know, this issue around safety and compliance is one is around this idea of middle of the business. So whatever that organization's middle of the business is, whether it's a terminal location or it's a fleet manager that owns a certain population of the overall fleet. Middle, middle of the business of the means like most important part of the business, largest part of the business. Can you just sketch that out a little bit? It means that layer of the organization where there's interface between the ops dispatch side and the driving population. Oh, it's lots they, of crossover they, between. Yeah, yeah, where they connect. That's what I would call it. Where they connect. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, not not middle, not last or not last or first mile, but middle mile, right? And, <laughs> and Sean, I mean, I've you know after again years being the old dog on this call, uh, I would tell you I feel. With, with all respect to my drivers, but that is the most important part. If there's a motor carrier can take anything away, that individual, that team is the most important part of your organization. They have to carry forward your mission statement to that driving fleet. And if there's a breakdown anywhere, that's where it happens. Well, and I think picking up on that and Bill, to your point on the data side, I think there have been huge advances in recent in recent years. And for those carriers that have a data management strategy, right? There's several benefits to that. You can identify and document your your 
areas of concern, right? And and you can show people, right? You can show the, the company, you can show the drivers, look, here's where our problems are, right? And and it's not just me saying it, I can show you. And, and you can also use it as a teaching and a coaching tool, right? To say, okay, here's why we need to make changes and here's the effects of those changes. So it's not just identifying the, the problem, but it's also providing a solution and accelerating that solution, right? Yeah. More quickly. So let's roll this back a little bit. I love, Bill, what you talked about with, um, you know, focusing on um, specific data points and, and the 80-20 rule. I think that's real instructional, but I want to I press on that a little bit, right? And I, uh, Sean Garney Trucking, uh, who's a magnificent trucking company, I'm a little cash tight, right? So I don't have cameras on my truck yet. I, I don't, haven't outfitted with, with any technology that's not required, right? I am trying to look at my safety picture. What are the data points that you want me to focus on? And I, I want everybody to answer this question. I even have an answer myself, but you know, I'm a I'm a base level fleet. I think we all see those fleets quite a bit in in what we do. What are you focusing on first? How we how we kind of build the out of the box strategy, Sean, for you know companies that don't have a lot of dollars to spend is we'll work with them on consuming you know the FMCSA data, their loss data. We tie in the operational data. Um, so mileage, we'll look at turnover, and we typically prop up uh, what we call a four-panel key performance indicator in and around risk, safety, and compliance. And it usually is data points that we can get in the macro and then back to we can tie it into the middle of the business. So things like accidents per million miles, uh, CSA points per truck, uh, we'll look at you know uh, revenue per truck, turnover per truck, and try to get a a holistic view of what's happening at the enterprise level, and then what's happening as an example at the location level. Because what we find is you know the typical safety director is going to focus on what the needs of the organization are based on the data they're reviewing, FMCSA data as an example, or their loss data. What's missing is being able to coach that dispatcher in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, around what specifically is happening with their fleet. So we might have a vehicle maintenance issue in Cedar Rapids and, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, we might have a logbook issue. We need to be able to coach the people that are interfacing with the drivers daily, the dispatchers, the, you know, terminal managers, et cetera, and work them through what specifically the conversation needs to look like at their location. That's a huge um, component of getting ops in the safety compliance conversation, which we think is one of the major differentiators when you start to kind of transform a motor carrier's organizational culture. And what most operators do is they, they get filled with reams of, you know, safety compliance data. It becomes confusing you know, Bert and I talk about we've walked into terminals where there's just wallpapers of safety posters. And that becomes like there is no message if there's too many messages. You've got to keep it very succinct and simple for the operators to engage. Um, and those are the first steps that we usually recommend companies kind of adopt as they're going on this journey of, of improving their safety compliance. So it sounds like you can start with some pretty baseline data that all carriers have, like 
crashes per million miles and and your CSA data, which it sounds like we agreed earlier that was compliance data. So I don't want to really muddy the water here, but um, start with some of that compliance data and then break it up by location, um, which, which seems like sage advice. Bert, you have um, a few favorite data points you'd, you'd like to point out? Crashes per million miles, always. That's my first, you know, to go to. And but we do. I mean, I'm part of Bill's team, and we look at. Uh, second would be your turnover by that dispatcher by that fleet. Uh, we believe, and I think data tells us that. You know, the higher your turnover, the more crashes you're going to have. Also, the more compliance issues you're going to have, having to retrain that team over and over. And then we look is at is that turnover per- an institutional thing, or is it usually like a, usually like a, a location specific? You know, are there big uh, variations? We, we, yeah, we push to get to that particular fleet, whatever it be, whether it be a location or a you know a particular customer fleet. But on our dashboards, we again we have enterprise level, and then we break it down within the middle of the business. Hmm. So then, back Steve's point, and Steve was dead on. We have enough data to be able to say, Bob in Dallas, your fleet is struggling with this issue. Joe in Montana, your fleet is struggling with this issue. So even a fleet that doesn't warehouse all of their data and can't dive into it, there are some basic tools available to them. Um, what do you think, Steve? You got any favorites? I, you know, I, <clears throat> I think Burton Bill did a great job. It, to me, it's it start with outcomes, right? Crashes clearly, performance and compliance data, and measuring that against industry averages, right? So to me, it start with what what the carrier's performance looks like. And then you start having conversations, right? Asking them, do you think you're safe? If not, why not? Where are you having problems, right, in your operation? What tools are you providing to your people to help them be doing their jobs more effectively? You know, how do they define safety? Hmm. What measures are you looking at? So just basic things like that. And then, because most of them, smaller carriers coming in the business, you know, they look at the green book, right? Okay. I'm going to do the, what the green book says and that's it. And that's, that's okay. Cause that's, we talked about the earlier baseline, but to, to, you need to start transforming that cultural thinking and you have to start with asking those questions, understanding what's their mindset and how they're approaching it. Cause they may not even know. What's the role of, this is a squishy question. So maybe we cut it out. What's the role of of intuition here. And the reason I ask is because of course I visited carriers to perform, you know, compliance audits or or whatever and oftentimes a safety director is certain they've got it figured. You know, they know where their problems are and they're working on it and they're about to get there but for some reason the numbers aren't tracking. So you know, is there an intuitive role for safety if if you've been a driver for years and years, Bert? Do you have a better knack for what makes safety or, you know, do you, do you still need to conduct this deep dive into the data in order to really understand what's happening? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you walk any, and I, all of us can walk into a motor carrier today and within you know 10 minutes, you know exactly what is happening or what is not happening. And I don't know if that's intuition or experience or what it is, but it, it is. And uh, when you, when you, your comment about a safety director that's been doing this for a while and is almost there, I think to Steve's point, it's, it's the outcome, what's happening. That's, you know, that's what you're missing. Look at the outcome and then focus on those areas that you're trying to improve. Um, 
I think the one piece we missed or we ha- we haven't really talked about, but I think is critical, kind of connects all the dots between safety and compliance is culture. I hate using that word because it's kind of overplayed a lot, but culture is critical. And defining that culture, all of those things are critical to all of this working hand in hand. And so when you, you yeah, when you said intuition, I thought culture, right? If, mm-hmm. if the leadership is, and I've, I've, we, we've thought years, I mean, I, my entire career, I've thought about why does a 20 truck company, and we all know those, a 20 truck company in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, which is where I'm from, he is what I would consider, you know, almost outlaw. He's got the biggest, prettiest Peterbilt stretched out, chicken lights running wide open. But this company's never had a crash in 15 years. But from a compliance perspective, you know, it's you know, he's hiring 21 year old. He's hiring his his wife's cousin to drive a truck when he turns 21 years old. We would all shudder for that. But that's a culture, man, that that driver is going to do his best for that company, that family, if you will, that culture. Mm. I think, yeah, you that lose reminds it. Bigger, me of the bigger you get, you lose that. Yeah. Well, and that, that reminds me of, you know, I was reading a little bit about safety and culture. This um, quote from this big wig at Disney who said, you know, we don't have to worry about much com- about compliance because because we're focused on safety and that's the culture we've built. And compliance will just naturally follow as a result of that. Do you think Do you think that's generally true, one? And number two, this is a question I love to ask because safety culture is a passion of mine. How do you measure safety culture? <laughs> I'll answer the first one with this, my same answer over and over this today has been crash, for, you know, your outcome, right? That's how you define mm-hmm. your culture to me is your outcome. And, and all of those metrics. And they, there's probably metrics you have that I don't have, but I think it's crash outcome, injury outcome, revenue, turnover. I think that defines your culture. Um, but I, I do not, in that first example I gave, I don't think safety always equals compliance. I think those small motor carriers or even large motor carriers uh, are safe. But you, if you, any of us, Steve in his past life goes, goes in and does a compliance review, I think we find that they're, they're, you know, they fail miserably in a lot of the areas. Yeah, that's so interesting. So are we are we looking at the wrong things here when we're thinking about safety? Like we keep coming back to crashes per million miles and loss runs, right? That's like the result. That is that is in essence safety, but we need to we need to define that. We need to dig into that. And the only way we can do it, it seems like outside of trying to measure your safety culture, and I've got some thoughts on how to do that, but it seems like the only other way to do that is through your compliance data. Is that, is that well, right? Well, I, 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 here are a couple of thoughts there. I think, you know, a lot of safety is luck, right? Bart, your, your, your example of the nowhere South Carolina. Yeah, we're going to cut that out, later, Steve. We can't, right? we can't so, say that on this podcast. No, but, but sooner or later, that, that carrier and that driver is going to get in a crash. Um, and so part of culture is, it, and it's that notion of, okay, look at what someone is doing when no one's looking, right? So, so part of it is that you've got to have key commitments from senior leadership all the way through your organization about safety, on ongoing conversations, right, and scenario analysis, scenario building, okay, what would I do in this situation? So that when that time happens where that 
He's a driver. And I'll use an example of the crash, the Denver crash from you know, with the 110 year sentence, right? So that driver at the top of the hill, right, had warm brakes, right? He had warm brakes. Now, is that a compliant? It wasn't in, it wasn't a compliance issue. Well, he stopped but to check them. That's what he was he required stopped. to do by compliance. They didn't tell right. him how hot they needed to be. That's exactly right. And he called the boss to, to and the boss said, go, f- go forth and do good things. So that's an example of this differentiation between safety and compliance. Mm. That, that was a bad decision, yeah. right? He should not have went down that road. So, and that comes with experience. It comes with training. It comes with communication all the way up and down so that when those situations occur where you have to make a decision, it becomes habitual. Oh man. It's not, Oh God, what do I do now? Right. Who do I call? What resource do I have? It's got to become a habit. So another way to think about that. And I love that example, Steve is, are we conducting compliance while understanding the spirit of that rule? So in, in the case that, that you gave, like the, the rule is there's a mandatory stop break check. He did that, but did he understand all of the things that went into the spirit of that rule, right? Properly checking your brakes and knowing what the thresholds were and, you know, getting that advice. So, um, an interesting idea to say, maybe one way that we can get safer is to focus on compliance while considering the spirit of that rule, right? Like, Maybe FMCSA is not always right, so let's consider why they made the decisions they made on on compliance. I don't know. That's kind of a wild thought. No, but that's at a a very global level, right? Compliance is the what. Safety is the how and the why, Mm -hmm. right? So this rule is here, but why is it there? Right. right. And, and, and what do I need to do to comply with it? So it, it, it takes that another level of, of investigation, of training, of knowledge um, that, that you need to do. And you, it comes with experience. So why am I required to get 10 years of previous employment history from the driver, but I'm not required to check more than three? <laughs> They're copping the room, please. Well, that that's a good question. I, I would I honestly I don't know the answer to that. I'd have to read the 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 the, the, the rule and notice on that. But but I, I it's a it's a compromise I, I, I Oh yeah, at a basic level, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean Right. But, but it's a good example because, and again, oftentimes as we, we started in the beginning, a regulation is a compromise based upon input from the public. So it's a compromise based upon practice versus what is practical. Right. And so, you know, if I'm a carrier, I, I'm, I'm doing that full investigation because I know, and we have research that supports this. If you look at fleet safety managers, that background investigation is one of the most important things you can do when you're looking to hire drivers that and road test just about among above everything else. Right. And so you need to make sure you're under, cause it gets down to that driver and his behavior and how he performed. And that's going to carry over regardless of whether he's complying with the rules or not. Right? And, and let me, let me, Sean, just take your role for a second, throw this to the truck 
trucking company owner in the room. Bill, why won't you let your safety department perform a week's worth of background check on that new hire? Hmm. Why won't I? Well, yeah, why do you why do you why do you demand that's done within twelve hours or twenty four hours or two days? Uh, well, I personally don't. We're friends. I know a lot of companies do. <laughs> um, but it's your balance, right? It's your imbalance. It, it goes it is, to revenue. It is the balance. And there's so much pressure right now on every trucking company to get, keep and grow their fleet because of where we're at with, you know, the abundance of opportunities uh, within the freight market that there are some compromises and hard decisions being made at that, that executive level. Um, but Steve, you said something earlier, you know, all of this conversation around culture starts at the top and it trickles down. And one of the things that, you know, we talk a lot about is not only is there a driver shortage and we're looking at younger, being able to open up younger drivers to come in the industry, but back to the, you know, Colorado uh, example, one thing you said was, you know, that driver called their manager. And that manager, in essence, gave blessing to move forward. And so these people that are, you know, making decisions or supporting decisions of a driver also need the same level of coaching, knowledge transfer as those drivers do. And there's a lot of young people and inexperienced people coming in the industry coaching the same young and inexperienced people in the industry. So that's, you know, that's where we start to target this middle of the business conversation where if the executive leadership team is saying, you know, safety compliance isn't a necessary evil, but it is institutionally part of our organization. And that starts to trickle down into the business and then how the system of the business is structured and so I would anticipate most organizations that, that we've come across, you know, this dispatch group, this operations group, they are incented on the movement of freight. Top line, right? Because everybody thinks if we get the top line, the bottom line will, will follow. And it does until it doesn't. And when you start to tie in safety compliance as a component of performance of that middle of the business, and you start to coach and train to it, and you maybe bonus towards it, that's when you really start to ingrain the system where everybody's playing on the same you know, chain and pulling in the same direction. And it's as important for that dispatcher to make the right call and the right coaching response to that driver with the hot brakes as it is that driver to sit on the side of the road and do what they need to do to prevent that you know, bad accident from occurring. And I think that's, that's a major component to all of this is when companies get that right, regardless of size, that's when you really start to see differentiation happen. And those companies control that major expense in their P&L, which is, you know, ultimately insurance and that cost of risk. Hmm. So, so that's, it, it, that, that's a great thought. I think Sean, picking up on Bill's point, you said you had some thoughts on culture. What, what, your, what did you want to share there? Well, um, 
you know, we've done a lot of thinking about safety culture because we have seen a lot of safety directors who are, you know, fairly convinced that uh, they've produced a, a great safety culture because it's our top priority and and those sorts of things. But measuring safety culture has been super challenging, you know. And Steve, you said it before. As I talk to my, you know, safety director friends around the country, you know, they're the way they measure safety culture is by trying to measure what's happening when nobody's looking. Um, and some interesting concepts around that have surfaced. One is what's the vernacular that your, your employees are using around operations, right? Doesn't include safety, important safety words. Um, but then in a more concrete sort of scenario, what are some of the data points, Bill, that we can find that might indicate what drivers are doing when nobody's looking? And, and one that I love, two that I love, one is DVIRs. How are we performing DVIRs? How long is it taking us? How often do we do it? Right? A lot of folks have that data, either in paper or using some electronic service. And the other is like those coaching and trainings. Right. If I assign a driver, hey, you got 30 days to do your training. When does that get done? Day 29, hour 11, or does it get done early in the month? Um, and so these safety directors that I've talked about, they try to drive those metrics because they feel like it's driving home, like you have a personal responsibility to ensure safety and it should be, it should be part of you. Right. So I was like, that was a great. Uh, a great question. I really appreciate that. I want to keep us moving a little bit here because we have some hot topics to get to as well. But I just want to touch just very briefly on Beyond Compliance. And so I'm going to kick it to Steve, who's going to give us kind of an update on this Beyond Compliance program, maybe a baseline. Um, but then I want to hear from Bill and Bert about what tools, technologies, and practices do you think would be most important? beyond compliance in driving safety. So we'll start with Steve. Yeah, so beyond compliance actually is a thing, right? It, it was uh, Congress directed back in 2015 for FMCSA to look at several items, you know, for the agency to look for advanced safety equipment, enhanced driver fitness measures, strategies, safety management tools, technologies, and programs. And really the ultimate thing with this overarching program is to provide credit, right? Or incentivize the industry to do things beyond the regulatory landscape, you know, squarely in what we're talking about here today. And to look at how those things could be incentivized primarily through CSA, or, you know, they, they, they said not through regulatory relief, but primarily through CSA and SMS and score implications. And so what as a result of that work, FMCSA has been doing some work over the last couple of years. They've issued several notices to get comments from the industry, from the affected parties in the industry. And so they're, they're, they just completed a research program uh, last month where they, they took more industry input and did a survey. And so they're essentially in the process of finalizing that research report. Uh, I'm going to, and the research team presented it to the agency. The agency is going to put out its report. And then they're going to have to report back to Congress. Okay, what did we learn? What are we planning to do do here? So it's it's in that phase now. Okay, well, what's next? How the agency is going to respond to it, and what do they plan to do? So that's that's a little background and where we are. 
Uh, very interesting. It's something that's been a passion of mine for a while, but certainly interested from, again, to Sean's point, Bill and Bert from the insurance side of this, you know, how you guys would view a program like that and, and, um, and your thinking there. Bill, you want to start? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think once you kind of solve the, the core fundamentals of, of a safety and compliance program, we're seeing more and more companies start to talk about what's next. Technology is finally getting uh, less expensive and some data is building that is supporting, you know, the examples of in-cab technology and its benefits. And so, you know, I, I love it, Steve, I, when the government can support maybe the direction of companies in and around innovation beyond what's required to, you know, what is aspirational. Um, I'm a fan of it. And I do think that we're getting more and more momentum uh, with the installation of, you know, telematics, forward facing, rear facing cameras inside um you know, inside these, these transportation companies. What I think is interesting, we've seen, um, you know, in the last handful of years is back to data, there are reams and reams of data coming in off of these devices. And one of the things that is critical for companies is to either have a third party or internal resource prepared to handle the data and then ultimately respond to the events that need to drive coaching. Yep. Because yeah. it's much more significant of an impact to be able to coach in real time or in short, you know, time frames based on when those events happen, and that does just being prepared to to, to collect the data. You know, I mean, right? Gotta yeah. have people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and having people that are competent, you know, to be able to then uh, get on calls, interface with with the driver ap- after those events, and when. When that happens, we are seeing significant dips in the events. And so hmm. there is some osmosis that happens just by way of having the, the tech in the trucks. Um, and here's the other interesting data point Bert and I have worked on back to driver shortage and, you know, living in the macro and the driver level um, data. Less than 8% typically of the fleet are having activities day to day that would be hard termination type events. Most of the fleet is, you know, either of quality and how do we keep them, engage them and and make them, you know, be a part of our, our team and culture. And the rest are, we just need to move them over and up. We need to get incremental gains to take C level drivers to B's and B's to A's. Mm. That, you know, idea that there's this massive population that is of high risk to our organization is just simply not not what we're seeing in the data. So things like in-cab technology starts to help, you know, address the 92%. So we can quickly target if we need to move on or there's a possibility to, to move over and up these 8% um, that are highest risk. Hmm. I, I, I'd love that. And I suspect, I think I would, I would, logic would dictate that that approach and helping move those B, C drivers to B drivers probably helps with driver retention too, right? Because you, the driver feels like they're part of the solution. You're helping them. It's not just, they're not just a commodity anymore, right? You're part of the, and that's back to that culture. You're part of the, you're as important as everybody else here, right? They're helping them. Yeah. Uh, Bert, favorite beyond compliance uh, tool? 
well, I guess that, you know, quick hit is going to be the two that come to mind are the, the, the camera and the LMS pro, uh, LMS platforms. Uh, it gives motor carrier the ability to manage a remote fleet. And also, uh, in that continuous learning program gives you ability to, to touch them that way. And I think those are both critical as you move forward. And, uh, yeah. Well, what's interesting about this conversation in relation to beyond compliance is it seems like, uh, we all agree that one of the most important things, uh, that drives safety in an organization is safety culture. In fact, that's been confirmed by a VTTI study uh, recently and, you know, and most of the experts in the industry. The question is, how are we going to measure that so we can get some credit where credit is due? <laughs> okay, so I think we're about through. We're almost out of time. Um, I'll pose one quick hitting question to all three of us. Um, then maybe we'll talk about some hot issues. So uh, the, the question is, what is the single most important data point when determining a fleet safety? And I'll start with, I know what Bert's going to say, Bill. I'm probably going to agree with Bert. So it's uh, crashes per million mile for me. That, that Bert, one is the... Bert's nodding. Same. Absolutely. Steve? From a measurement spec- perspective, I would agree something that's easy, easily to me- easy to measure and clearly outcome based. And Sean, let me Steve had made a comment earlier. I just want to kind of we we hear all the time they want to know what their peers are doing. What's the industry average? We urge always don't look at that, look at your results, improve upon yourself, continuous hmm. improvement. That's the only way to get better. Benchmark against yourself. Interesting concept. Could do a whole podcast on that one. Uh my favorite uh safety data measurement is uh Safe stat score, I think that's probably the best um, if we still had it. So we'll, we'll maybe have to uh, reinvigorate that. So with, 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 uh, <laughs> with that being said, uh, I'd like to thank everybody on this podcast today. Bill, Bert, Steve, thanks so much for coming. Of course, thanks to True North for hosting this forum and for allowing the motor carriers an opportunity to sort of listen in and maybe get some tips or tricks to improve their system. So with that, I'll say um, thanks for being our very first guest. We really appreciate it. To leave you with a final remark on today's episode, for every organization, compliance is necessary. Safety is vital. Thanks for listening to this episode of TN Truck Thought. If you enjoyed the topic today and want to tune in for future conversations here on the Triple T Pod, make sure to follow us. Also, please don't hesitate to let us know which topics you want us to cover in future episodes. Drop us a line in the comments section or send us an email to transportationnews at truenorthcompanies.com. Up next, Trucking in 10.